Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris and uh, I am glad you have joined me today. I think you're going to love this episode. It's a little, uh, little new and different from what we normally do here. As you know, if you've listened before, most of what we do is talk about what has been happening at 4x400, the e-commerce holding company that I uh, run and uh, get to lead. And, uh, and I'm typically telling you the highs and lows and everything in between with as much clarity and data and visibility and honesty as I possibly can. And it's kind of following the story of what we're doing. Well, in the midst of that, uh, I have today a special guest for what is going to be, I think, a monthly episode, just kind of a break from the overall story. And that guest is, uh, I think your third time doing this, is uh, Taylor Holiday. So say hi, Taylor. Yeah, what's up, man? I'm glad you, this is Andrew's second pass at recording an intro. And last time I was a special guest and now I'm just a guest, which I think is more appropriate. (laughs) Like the intro is unquestionably the hardest part to record for me. I just feel so (laughs) awkward and terrible doing it. Uh, If you don't know Taylor and you don't understand uh, why he is here and why he is here often, it's because Taylor runs Common Thread Collective. Uh, I'll let you say what Common Thread Collective is, Taylor. Yeah, we're an e-commerce growth agency working with uh, consumer product e-commerce brands between zero and 30 million to help them achieve their dreams. Um, And we get to work directly alongside Andrew and his team at 4x400 sharing information about what is working on that journey in ways that are mutually beneficial. And that's because uh, Common Thread Collective is the majority owner of 4x400. So if you didn't know the story, we were born out of the agency. We saw what was happening with other people's brands and decided to go give it a shot ourselves. So I came over from the agency. And in the midst of that, Taylor and I are talking all the time. And just about what we're seeing working and what's not working and, uh, and, you know, Taylor lobbing bombs across the, um, across the wall between our companies, the, the, um, theoretical wall between our companies and, uh, and saying like, Hey, this isn't working for your company or this is working great. And, and why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And we just have stuff on our mind all the time about the e-commerce world from the perspective of being on the operating side with our own brands versus Taylor really doing a lot of client facing stuff. And we're always interfacing and seeing what's going on there. So I thought, why don't we start a new series where what we do is, uh, once a month, Taylor and I will come together and we will have a conversation where each of us just brings one topic to the table, one thing that's been on our mind recently in e-commerce uh, and we will just bat it around at each other. So uh, we have both heard what each other's topic is today, but we have not talked about it yet. This could become a a, a straight up argument. There's actually nobody in the world I like arguing with more than Taylor. Uh, and there have been a lot of them. My wife can tell the tone of voice I get when I'm arguing with Taylor on the phone, even if she can't hear Taylor's side of the call. So, um, so that could happen. We could be calling each other names here in a few minutes, or we could just totally agree and it'll be super boring. But either way, hang in there. We're going to jump in. All right, Taylor. I'm excited about this, man. I think this is going to be fun. Yeah. So, I mean, really, this is just us trading a phone call for a podcast, right? So this is like a pretty regular tradition of, and and, and, and candidly, we're going to be sort of smart-assy about it. But the reality is it is a massive benefit to our ecosystem to be able to call other leaders and have a conversation about what's going on in the world. Some days that's HR related things. Some days it's hiring. And then some days it's actual tactical e-com stuff. But man, I... This is the last compliment you're getting, but I, I really appreciate these conversations. They're super valuable for me. So hopefully we can offer that to the world a little bit. I always tell by, uh, that they're valuable to you by the way that you um, just like uh, rabidly disagree with me uh, at, on certain things. <laughs> I can always tell it means a lot to you. Yeah, uh, no, not really. Of course it is. It is. It's really true. It's awesome. And that's, that's actually why we decided to record this. There's kind of two things. One of them is 
there's like the Gary V principle here, which is like every piece of content you create, like try to figure out as many uses for it as you can. So he's always got like a video plus a podcast plus three pieces of written content that somebody's transcribing and turning into separate like tweets. It all is one piece of content. Um, so there's there's a reality here where like I just thought like Taylor and I are already having these conversations. I think our listeners would probably be interested. Um, so why not just record it and and kill two birds with one stone? Um, and then uh, and then yeah, there's there's no question that there's like a huge value to doing this. So, all right. So let's not belabor it anymore. Um, Taylor, do you want to start or me? Why don't, well, so why don't I, you start? Yeah, I picked this one, I guess. So, so I can throw it out. Um, so I think one thing, and I don't know if you've ever t- talked about this part of our story, Andrew, but Andrew and I worked together on a brand together for a long time. Like, and sometimes I look back and so to be clear, it was at, at Kalo. We both worked functionally for Kalo. I was not actually an employee. Andrew was, but I was sort of de facto leading marketing for a time there. And so we got to do like deep work on one brand together, which man, I don't know if that'll ever happen again in some ways, but it was- It sounds so fun to me sometimes. Right, doesn't it? <laughs> like to just go super deep. And I look back really fondly on the work we did. I'm proud of it. Like there were, there were moments where I'm like, man, the only thing we screwed up was stopping. Um, because I think that team, even how many of them we brought back together that are now back in our lives, we were in a sweet spot there for a while where- we were doing some cool stuff and it was fun. Um, and part of that was around the work that we did. And it had to do with this, the fact that when we designed Kalo, the logo was this grid. Uh, it was a, a sort of basically a two by two matrix, like an X and a Y axis. And there was an icon in each grid. And they were, each of the icons was part of the symbol. Quality, athletics, love, and outdoors. Kalo was an acronym for those of you who don't know, the Silicon Ring Company. And so we built the marketing calendar around seasonal product launches for each category, quality, athletics, love, and outdoors. And we had a story and a theme. So it was sort of the the brand had built into it this like rhythm of product release and marketing calendar that allowed us to really tell stories and campaigns. And so this idea of what is a marketing campaign and how do you build to it and build around it is something that I have seen sort of disappear in the world of Facebook advertising and ongoing perpetual growth, where it's sort of like the Facebook ad campaign drives the marketing campaign versus the other way around. And so I wanted to talk to Andrew today about what happened to the marketing campaign and does it need to be a part of what 4x400 is doing? Do we need to think about this more for our clients? Like the deep, thoughtful, multidimensional marketing campaign. Yeah. Okay. So this is, it's, it's just a, it's probably not surprising that my mind was going towards this sort of thing as well. If that happens with you and I for some reason, and I don't, it's maybe it's just shared experience or what, but um, I think this is a great conversation. It's um, when I think about some of the biggest wins your clients have had recently, some yes. of the ways that we've grown, particularly FC goods. Um, I think part of the thing is like with our growth. Um, so, okay. Some of those have been around campaigns and specifically yep. like building interest in the community. Uh, the ones that come to mind for me are born primitive yes. um, with their stuff around their response to COVID and giving, doing a big thing with a give back to local gyms. That was yep. such a good way to be endemic to a community, get, um, get a bunch of free media out of it. Like there's like all kinds of like earned media. There's, there's like, like all kinds of ways where that worked really, really well. I think for born primitive to continue to make its push to be, one of, if not the lead apparel brand in CrossFit, which is their space. Um, so to me, like that was a perfect little example of, of just a really well-designed thought through uh, thing in a quick moment that, that really worked well. And I think what you're going to end up there 
end up with at the end of it is a bunch of customers who who feel real loyalty to the brand right away. Yes. Um, as expressed in non-paid traffic. And by right. non-paid, I don't mean they didn't cost money. I just mean that you didn't pay a, a programmatic platform for it. That's um, right. And also in sort of like brand equity and brand loyalty from customers you already had. So I would, I would expect to see it show up in your retention rate, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and I actually don't totally care about the measurability on all of these sorts of things. I mean, you, you probably gotta be smart about that. No, none of us has tons of cash to fly, throw around. And I do think this right. is one of the problems with these kinds of things that people it can't is. measure it. Um, but, but that's clearly the case for FC goods. A lot of how we've been able to grow has been with, um, limited edition releases and generating interest around stories related to baseball, basically. Um, And so we do these every so often. And as long as we keep doing those, it's not just that we sell limited edition products, it's that we sell the rest of our products along with it, keep people interested in the brand um, and all those things. So I've been thinking about this and and, um, and let me me make a a two-pronged thesis statement about why it doesn't happen in the same way anymore. Number one, um, Facebook for a long time actually is low hanging fruit for a lot of people. Like there is sort of a baseline cap and it's probably different for every brand of how much spend and return you can get by simply investing in evergreen tactics. Introduce yourself to new customers, um, go acquire customers with ads, with uh, automated flows, SMS, get all the stuff in place that you need to do. Your upsells on site, a baseline level of CRO, all the kind of basic tactical stuff that frankly is a lot of stuff we talk about on this podcast. Um, so that, and that, um, there, there is a lot of fruit there to pick, um, kind of right away. Um, and then secondly, that stuff is all super measurable. Everything has a metric attached to it. And it is a lot harder to figure out when Kalo, put its logo on the sidelines of the CrossFit games, what that did for us. It was very, very, very challenging to try to measure that in some way. Um, and so because of the lack of measurability, it just became really, really difficult. That's my thesis, not measurable enough. And there's a lot of room before you do that stuff that people end up focusing on and they end up just kind of getting addicted to it. Yeah. So, so I think I will agree with those. I'll add though, another piece of it, um, which is, it's not how you got there. So it's not intuitive that it's you're, something you're supposed to do. So like I'm having a call with a client yesterday and basically they have a great product in that like it's quality product. It's in a hyper competitive space. And for the last year and a half, they've gotten to about 2 million in revenue off the back of just the problem is to come up with a new ad. Like that is the marketing problem to solve is an ad that gets you a ROAS outcome. And so for the last two years, that's what they've been trying to do. Make new videos, shoot new photography, all for the sake of a new ad that drives ROAS. Now there's product releases along the way that, but all it is is what's the new ad for that product. And for a long time, the product drives the brand forward. There really isn't a brand. There's a product that you're driving. Like I think about Kalo, this is sort of true too. The beginning, it was a black silicone ring product photo on white, right? And it literally said silicone wedding rings. And because that was niche and novel, there were no campaigns in the beginning. Like it was like, we did this thing for a really long time, but at some point that stops working. Like it's no longer, and every product to your point has a different threshold for this. Theragun got really, really far with just the product before they had to think about brand. Like versus if you sell t-shirts, you probably aren't going to get asked, you know, like, so every product has sort of a life cycle of where it can get on its own evergreen. But at some point, you have to tell a more compelling story to drive further into the customer adoption curve. And 
helping people to identify when that's happening and prepare for it. Because to your point, it requires money to be spent in a different way with a more latent value capture. And if you're not ready to do that, you simply can't afford to make that decision. Yeah, I, I think I actually wonder if that's the other factor here is that people are already running pretty thin margins, taking a lot of growth really fast. And so they just don't have a lot of cash left over to think about that kind of investment. Right. Um, and so um, because they're building their Facebook, so like, like you've, you've uh, cited to me before that like the average ROAS of a CTC client, right? Is somewhere around two, right? right. Yep. About a 50% outcome. Yep. And what I think about that is that it's, it's not because that's what's possible on Facebook. It's because the unit economics are driving the ceiling that which people spend to, right? So, so it's not it's not because two is the outcome that Facebook gives you. It's because it's because entrepreneurs are spending as to as much volume as they can get at about there because that's where they get a little better than break even on their unit economics. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so I think it's both. I think it's both and. But yes, that's definitely people will push to the ceiling. Yes. Yeah, but for a lot of entrepreneurs, I bet could. T- I, and you're right. It's both and. It's not one or the other. But I think that's one of the factors here. People push to yeah. that ceiling and then they stop spending because it's no longer profitable. Um, which means, which means that by definition, people are spending essentially right up to the edge of profitability on Facebook. Right. And then right. that, and that means that there is not a lot of leftover margin from which well, to pull a marketing budget. Especially because, and this tips over to this conversation a little bit, which I don't want to. I think we probably want to maybe even say for another time, which goes to this idea of the velocity constraint idea that, that, that if you don't have any organic traffic, you are pushing to the edge of profitability. If your primary acquisition, if all your customers are paid for, then yes, you, you are pushing up right up until the edge and there is no leftover dollars at all. But if you have an organic traffic source, then that, that allows you to sort of continue to have more room to play. Um, but that you're absolutely right is that people don't play that way normally. They're, they're, they're have no organic customer acquisition really at all. And they're pushing, 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 pushing. And for a while it's working and they're netting dollars and then things are good, but then it just degrades a little bit. And all of a sudden they're up against it in ways. And now they're stuck in this really rock and a hard place where they don't have money to take a step back and do a deeper story, but it's what's required. And that's when you really get stuck. Yeah. Do you think of this as primarily about customer acquisition or customer retention? Mm. Um via essentially like brand affinity building. Yeah. Um, or so I, mean, I mean, you don't have to choose, of course, but but like what's, if you just thought about like the target there, which one would it be? Well, so so one of the things like, and, and I love this and I'll share this in the show. Do you do show notes, Andrew? I don't know if you do, but I have, part of what prompted this was I found all these outlines that I wrote for the old campaigns for Kalo, like every part of it. And Part of it is the product focus and who's it for, right? So within the story, you have product that's driven at new customer acquisition. And then there were instances where there was products that were driven at new customer or existing customer adoption. So like, I'll give you an example. When we would launch the, the, a new Kalo line, new customers buy black rings, existing customers add to their collection, right? So you think about the campaign as serving, a, uh, serving both ends. We have this product, which we know is like, the entry point into the system. And then we have this product, which we know is going to be about expanding your current collection because it's not going to be the first thing you jump in most of the time. Now, obviously there's crossover in both directions, but so I think you really got to think about the campaign has to serve one of those ends. Now, what I'll say is that 
the overall brand equity definitely feeds the flywheel. It feeds the, the sort of rising of both sides. But I think you have to have some intention declared with what the campaign is for, because it's either going into a new market to get new customers, likely with a product that serves their unique needs, or you're trying to take your existing customer set and get them to buy more things. And the, the acquisition is still on the old hero product. So, okay, so I think you've got to think about it. So yeah, we did, we, we do by the way have show notes and we should totally attach that. I think that's super interesting. And I wonder if I could pull together also some notes that we're working on for Bamboo Earth kind of related to that idea for our Black Friday sale. Yep. Um, and for our offer where, you know, that's, that's straight up about product for Black Friday. That's just like, go get the money. Um, and, but one of the things that we're doing there is thinking about what are we trying to say to a new customer versus a returning customer? And then what kind of customer in each bucket? So um, we have these custom kits, you take our quiz that's and right. we give you a custom recommendation. So, so we have these batches of customers. We have our kind of single product customers, customers who just buy one thing and they're not going to buy a kit that it's just their shopping behavior is different than that. They're just not going to buy a kit from you. Um, and then secondly, um, there's customers who are coming and they buy a mini kit from us, a custom mini kit from us, or they have filled out the quiz. They're interested in it, but they haven't bought. And then there's um, people who have bought a, a mini kit a couple of times, but maybe we want to get them to a full size kit. Right? So we think about all three of those customers, like people who are new people who are buying one product, small product, big product. And that basically covers your base. And there's a good amount of people in each of those. And we start designing offers to hit each of those people in different ways. Um, and I think with a sort of a more, um, a more traditional marketing campaign, you could basically play the same game, right? You go like, um, you'd say, okay, is, is this meant as a way to, yeah, to attract a new customer? And if so, what mechanisms, what distribution channels do I need to do? What is the CTA for that person? Am I sending them to a custom built lander? Who are the influencers? Like all of those kinds of yes, questions yes. that you, that you do. Um, and I know when we've talked about this with Kayla, like one of the things you and I talk about is when we wanted to go get CrossFit, we looked at the whole CrossFit ecosystem and just tried to check off every box in a circle. And yes, so it was like, right. We looked at the influencers in the space and the events in the space and the digital publications in the space and the print publications in the space. And Kalo had massive, unbelievable margins. And so maybe there was a little more money to play with there at the time. And Facebook was a different game. And there was, but I don't know. I think that at the same time, just like we were able to think so much big picture about it that you could then probably play that game back and go like, okay, Bamboo Earth, um, is this for new customers or returning customers? Okay. Or both, if it's both like in this ecosystem of people who care about body positivity, right. maybe, or something like that, you know, right. brand value, then like, what are all of the things that, okay, who's influencing that conversation right now? And um, where are they talking about it? Is it YouTubers? Is it whatever? And just kind of go around in a circle. Where are those people living and how do you go reach them? That's so, okay. So there's, there's so much. And, there. and connect the product, right? Connect, at the yeah. end of the day, what is the product that somewhere is connected to that? It's probably not moisturizer. It's probably something else. That's right. So, so one of the things that you did there that I think people are hesitant to do, because again, and this is like also part of this like broad audience narrative that is woven its way into marketing in a way that's really deceptive because that's not what that word means at all. But, but one of the things that's missing from marketing campaigns is audience definition, right? So because like, and, and I think Bamboo Earth is a perfect example of a brand that could fall prey to this, which is that like the audience is all women. Um, and instead the way you get to all women is like the entrance is a narrow door. It's actually not a wide door. So you start by saying our audience is women 35 to 44 who are interested in body positivity. They read these publications. They like, you define the entire persona. And as cliche as that is, what that then gives you an approach to do is to design ads, to go after seating, to go after publications, 
and you enter in through a really strong value proposition that affects your CTRs, that affects your conversion rates when you get there, because you've now crafted something that is so specifically, and they're seeing multiple touch points because they exist in that world and the impact is overall greater. But one of the things I see repeatedly is very generic audience definition. So again, this company that prompted this conversation with me, it's a, it's a apparel brand and their product is like men who travel. And it's like, well, one, nobody travels anymore. So like, let's reframe that presently. So we, we ended up getting like really working hard to get clear down to this, like the work from anywhere person who is like going to show you an Instagram photo with their laptop at the coolest locations. Like you start narrowing in and narrowing in and defining and they listen to Tim Ferriss and like, whatever. You start getting to a sense of who you're talking to. And now you can build a campaign. Now you can build something and you can go to that circle you just talked about and touch them in multiple ways. So let's do it. Let's do Let's, let's build one right now. Um, okay. I, I have, I have a perfect idea for this. All right. So slick, Ooh, okay. um, which has been, has been, um, really exceeding our expectations, including Brian's uh, brand GM, big, big, big hat tip to him. He has been working really hard on fixing a lot of the core issues with that brand. And he and I just talked today about this. We have two things that we still need to fix and that we're working on right now, really, really, uh, carefully. And I think we're going to solve them in significant ways in the next few months. So, so for now, Brian is entirely head down trying to get those things done. It's um, shipping costs, which we're just about to move to buy coastal shipping. And I think that's going to help us a ton uh, yep. because of the because the shipping data that we have. Um, and then uh, retention. Um, and retention is a big part of this. And retention, we're trying to work on a few things, including our unboxing experience, our automated flows. We've got all of the fundamentals set up. So here's what I expect to have happen, okay? By the end of this year, we will have taken big, big steps on both of those issues. That will then lead us into Black Friday. We'll have a little more margin to play with when we put our Black Friday offer out there because we've done a good job on the freight side. I think we're gonna get like six points of margin back. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Um, and and then we will get into 2021, okay? okay. And now we will, we will have solved those on the fundamentals. Just assume right. that's true for a second. And let's say we can't get a lot more Facebook volume. We get a little more, but not a lot more. We're doing the regular stuff, all that stuff. It actually doesn't matter. As long as either way, you're just kind of chipping away at that evergreen the way you always do. Yep. One of the things we just did for Slick was we um, added Enquire post-purchase surveys yes. to yes. our uh, site. Highly recommended. I'm not getting a referral fee on this. I should, because it's awesome. It, it's a honest to goodness, less than five minute installation. And it connects directly to Klaviyo. And all it does is on your thank you page on Shopify, it, it allows you to ask your customer any question that you want, multiple choice. So for FC Goods, we've had it for a long time. The question is, is this a gift or is this for yourself? 75% of our people say it's for a gift. The AOV is higher on gift purchasers. That's really interesting information. About 60% of customers fill it out too, okay? So you get a really good response rate. Um, so for Slick, what we asked was, what vehicle are you washing? Okay. And I think you might've seen this on our Slack channel, Taylor. Slick was founded by a dirt bike family. We get, we had, we created an equity deal with the greatest dirt bike rider of all time, Ricky Carmichael. He's an owner in the company um, yep. from the early days. We have been really dirt bike heavy. Do you remember what the percentage of our customers is who ride a dirt bike was? Did you see that? Oh, in the yeah, it was like 16% or something. Wasn't yeah. It? It's like, it's like, it's like 15 or less. Yep. Do you, do you remember what the number one was? ATV, UTV. 
to the tune of 50%. So right. there are, we have at least three times as many ATV, UTV people, which is a different customer than a dirt bike person. Totally, um, totally different customer. And you know, again, probably some crossover, but, but some different. So now we have this bit of information that actually a huge portion of our customers are riding ATVs and UTVs. So how do I build marketing campaigns with that information about my customer uh, to go reach them? What do you do next? Let's say you want to go okay. deeper into That's ATV, UTV. How do we go about this? This is great. So, so the things I want to think about um, is like w- one, what's the product? So let's just, let's just say we're going to take the off-road wash and the shine and you're going to come up with something that's ATV specific that like, yeah, we have an ATV ATV wash kit. We have, we have one that's like a a pre-kitted thing that says, this is what you should use for an ATV. Great. So when I think about what you talked about, which is draw a circle around all the things that an ATV or UTV person cares about where you could possibly interact and communicate with them. And then think about every point of marketing communication that you have with them during the course of this campaign. Okay. So one of my favorite things to do is like for an interest category like this, Facebook audience insights is still a really valuable tool. So I'm on audience insights right now. I'm looking at all-terrain vehicle. So UTV, ATV. Okay. Let me tell you some things that this group of people care about that I am interested in knowing. Okay. There's um, something our diesel truck addicts is the number one community. Um, we've got Moromoto lighting. So some sort of lighting Polaris is the biggest ATV it's and UTV, ATV brand. UTV brand. Yeah. Right. Other brands that they love still, right. It's a construction company that makes saws, mossy Oak, right. Arctic outdoors, ducks unlimited. So all of these things are things that I am interested in. So one of the things I'm going to do, and this is, this is a hack when I think about seating. So let's, let's go through each other. Influencers, not only do I want to know the famous people in this category, but here's a, here's a hack that we thought about a lot at Kalo was who are the community influencers? Who is the CMO of Polaris? And how do we turn them into an avid slick fan? Even though they don't have a big Instagram following, they go riding with people on Polaris's all the time, right? Like who is the head of community at Still? right? Like who I'm going to, I'm going to draw a map of all of the influencers of this entire category, and I'm going to make them advocates of my brand, right? And we would do that. That starts with seeding, you think? Yes. You you just send them product. So if if you go follow Cody Wittick on Twitter, who was our head of influencer at Kalo, and you look at some of the packaging that he would put together for these beautiful kits that we would send to Bryce Harper and LeBron James and all these different people, to create a really rad experience, we used to sell date, send these date night boxes. That it wasn't just about the ring; it was about their experience with their spouse, and like to make them fans, to build advocacy, not because you're paying them, or but just because you want them to to become a fan of the brand. Okay, and that's right because that is the goal here. The goal here is actually, especially if this really works for brands like Slick, where there's a real specific community you're targeting. That's right. Um, with shared interests and clear ways, which is almost any brand in some way. Um, that's right. But you just have to find it if you're not there. I think. Um, and because I'm not trying to build a 900 million dollar business here, where like I'm trying to get everybody who's ever washed a vehicle of any kind, nope. I, I don't have to go and like get everybody. I, I there's plenty. UTV ATV is a great example. Of this there are plenty of those people out there. It is a massively exploding category. So like if you uh, could go get them and be the wash brand in that space, you would have huge loyalty. You'd have a huge customer base. You'd have a really profitable business. So um, seeding is really interesting. And Cody, by the way, did get a a Kalo ring for free on LeBron James's hand. And I believe Steph Curry's hand without paying them a dime. Yeah. I like tons in public. Right. So then, so then I'm going to like, so so that becomes like my influencer. Right now I'm still going to go after the diesel brothers and I'm going to still go after the famous people, but like at the end of the day, those people make their money on transactional relationships. So that'll, that'll be part of it. 
Then, so the next thing I'm gonna do is that I'm gonna look at the digital publications that these people listen to, right? So I'm gonna try and understand if I were to run podcast ads or if I were to run, um, you know, advertorials, what would those be, right? And so Power Block TV, let's see what this is. I don't even, I'm just clicking through. Well, like, yeah, so. I mean, I was looking today with Brian, there's a, there's a bunch of YouTube channels and, and there's a real motorhead element of this, right? Where yes. people are just like interested in seeing the new version of the machine. They just right. want to look at, they just want to look at the, the, the machine itself. And so they want to see, um, video of it, test it out. How did it feel? How did it handle? And, and, uh, and there's, you know, these YouTube channels with, five to a hundred thousand followers of just like videos of check. Here's the new Polaris Ranger. Like, here you go. You know, right. that's right. Like, so like, I'm just, again, I've spent seven seconds doing this. Here's a Facebook page called mud bogging with 1.5 million followers that makes memes and content. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find out who runs mud bogging. I'm going to say, Hey, I've got an idea. Uh, how much to make me an ad and let me run white labeled content through your page or whatever it might be. Or what do you charge for a post? Do you do affiliate? and see if I can turn every one of these media properties in the ecosystem into an asset for me for my campaign. We have this launch, this brand new product, we'll give all of everybody on your page this special offer, whatever it might be, for every one of those media publications, or at least the ones that I think are meaningfully impactful. And hopefully I can find some data about engagement rates and not just followers, blah, blah, blah. And, all that, and by all the way, that. you can do this relative to the size of your business, right? If you don't have the budget to go even begin thinking about the biggest places in this, there are Facebook groups with yeah. 10,000 followers that right. are your people. And right. they're going to be interested because you'll give them a better touch point than a big giant brand would or something. So you don't, you don't actually have to have a huge budget to go do this. You can go you can go like find those people. And sometimes actually by nature of you being smaller, there's kind of a connection point and where you can help each other out and it can be a little endemic to the community. That's right. That's right. So then, okay. So that's like the media properties. And then like, I'm gonna look at podcasts. I'm gonna consider the CPMs on all of those. I, one of the things you and I have talked about is that, again, this goes back to the measurable question. I think you have to commit to being endemic to the community and you have to mean it. And that means you have to have presence that's non-related to direct ROI. Like, if you're going to be in this space for a long time and that community matters to you, you have to be endemic to the community. It has to be real. And so that has to be an investment, not a direct, immediate transactional direct response ROI. It's an investment in the presence of the community. And I think that that really matters. Yeah, um, so part of the way I've started to think about this is just setting aside a couple percentage points of revenue um, in my budget to yep. say like, I want to, this money to be spent on longer term engagement. I, right. I, I I'm, I'm going to get whatever measurement they'll give me and all of that. And if I can put a code on it or something like that and measure yep. it, then great, I will. But I'm not actually worried about that. I'm looking for the best quality engagement that I could possibly get. And then every time, and Brian and I were talking about this today too, like there's some really great ATV guys who did a killer job. We sent them, paid them a couple grand. They loved the product. They were already excited about it. So they did a wash video of one of their vehicles on their YouTube channel and then sent us all the content afterward. And, and one of the things I think is like, these guys did a good job. They cared about it. They care about their thing. They're trying to build their audience. Like they're the kind of people I want to partner with. They were good, good guys to work with. Right. Um, so one of the things I want to do now is like follow up with those guys and make sure the relationship stays really, really good. Once you've found a couple people like that, because that's always this game, especially on for digital publications that are really informal like this is like a lot of times it's a mess to try to reach them and to try to like get the relationship started. And you reach out to 10 people and you hear back from one, all those kinds of things. But when you get those ones that are good, nurture, nurture, nurture those relationships because they can be really valuable. That's exactly. So that's exactly right. And then, and that's where, again, this is not, this is not about extraction or like exploitation. This is about genuine and you actually have to be a part of the community. And that's, 
that's the thing that is like really a challenge is to check your heart and intention as you enter into it to be a little emotional here. But it's true. It's like if you go to extract and you're only looking to see what you can get out of it, like you're going to miss the way that they, especially niche communities, they really sniff that stuff out pretty easily. Right. So if we, we could not go into the dirt bike community and pull that off as an example, like it has to be real. And that's why Brian is actually such an important part of the story. It's because Andrew couldn't do it. He's not very good at dirt bike. Um, yeah. Never ridden one. Yeah, exactly. So, actually, maybe I'm awesome about it, but I just don't know. Cause I never yeah, tried. That's likely. <laughs> that's probably it. Um, so, so that's like, that's, that's like sort of the media side of it. Then, then there's this other thing like that I'm going to call partnerships. Okay. So, um, like the way I think about this with ATV UTV is they're, they're the number one motor vehicle company. So that you've got Polaris and then you've got Can-Am off-road, right? Well, the reality is we're sort of agnostic in terms of which dirt bike you watch or which ATV UTV bike you watch. But we do know that they have all the customers that we definitively know we want. So if I can do anything co-branded, swap email lists, give inserts, shoot a piece of content together. So the marketing person at those companies needs to be a friend of mine. And I need to talk about co-branded collaborative initiatives, trading email, swapping, uh, like I said, emails to each other's audience, giveaways, uh, you know, social giveaways, anything I can do for the audiences that I directly know that I want, which are ATV owners, I'm going to figure out what the partnership offer is there. And that can be me saying, hey, you want me to include ATV? We do 20,000 orders a month. I'll put for a month one Polaris special, you know, insight offer into everything. If you do the same for me, for my wash kit, like we did that with Mizzen and Maine once at Kalo, where we swapped orders for a month, um, inserts into the bag. Like those are all things that you can do to get access to a very qualified audience that you know is your potential customer. Um, yeah. What about so, events? Yeah. Okay. That's another, so great. Yes. Now, obviously weird time in the world for sure, but events is another one where, I would say this also relates to the more critical it is that people experience your product, the more critical events become, right? So um, as a wash kit, like one of the things I've always dreamed of is that there every event where like somewhere in the periphery, something is being washed, Slick should be washing. Like there's no doubt about it, right? So if there's, there, like, there's this great dirt bike race in Germany or somewhere, wherever it is, where they like hundreds of bikes through the mud and it's just like the content opportunities and all these things that are there are just, if you could even take a small loss to be present at those, like the long-term gain on it is so, so huge. Like yeah, the first the, business we ever built, Power Balance, like the entire thing was we did five events a weekend all over the country, races, volleyball events. And the idea was if we break even on those, the brand is growing. So that, that's so interesting because I think the the part of the challenge is, first of all, it does feel cost prohibitive. And sometimes also I think events feel small. Like it's like, am I going to spend all weekend reaching a couple hundred people or, or a thousand people or whatever? Totally. When I could just like, when a thousand people cost me 10 bucks on Facebook. And um, the, yeah. the, yes. the answer to that question is yes. And the reason why is that you will go so much deeper if you do a good right. job at an event with those people. And those are the people who are super core and who tend to influence other people in their community. So they will be the ones walking away when they buy your product or whatever saying, man, I, this brand is, is cool. Like this is all I'll use on my ATV because I care, you know, it won't strip my lubrication, whatever. They will repeat your value propositions back because you've had the conversation and it's not because they even really understand the pH level and the wash solution. What they are doing is right. going like, this is a brand for me. And so right. they just appropriate that reality and, and make it part of their lives. And, uh, and that's what they care about, I think in that respect. And so, and you're right. You have to actually then be a brand for them. If, if that's the case, There's, you can't really fake that in most of these communities. Um, but I remember asking, uh, I remember asking Gary V one time, 
uh, when he came to speak at CTC, I, I raised my hand and asked the question, if you could have the same ROAS um, via 1,000 very small touches with people or 10 really, really deep touches with people, right? So you get um, a really great conversion rate on a small audience with deep touches or, um, or a small, you get the same revenue outcomes, but you just affect people differently in the interaction. Does that make sense? Reaching a lot yeah. of people deeply, reaching a lot of people on the surface versus reaching a few people deeply. Um, same short-term revenue outcome, which one do you prefer? And he said the second one, I would reach less people, but have a better and deeper relationship with them. Um, right. Because I would want that those people to go like, man, if I can get people watching a minute of my video or two minutes of my video, that's great. You take that to the next level and say, if I can be with them and shake hands with them and talk with them and wash their thing with them, you know, whatever, oh. um, that's where you really get somewhere. And I think here's another really underrated thing about all of this, especially event marketing and and like small and some of the like, you know, working in some of the wholesale relationships with places that are like endemic to communities. I'm thinking here of like mom and pop like, uh, you know, um, auto shop, ATV shop type places, um, which there are a lot of them. Um, the, uh, the, the other thing I think there is that, um, currently if, if we run Facebook ads and we have, let's say e-commerce like direct consumer, and we have our Amazon page, those are the only two places at which you can capture value. Right. right. Um, but what all of, but what I think the most underrated thing about Facebook ads is that, is that you are going to convert a couple percentage points, give or take, of the people who you talk to. So that means there are literally hundreds of thousands of clicks and video views, people who are having experience with your brand, who's, um, because if you're only capturing their demand in one place, uh, your website or whatever, that you, you, that you're building awareness and you're building equity and you're building influence with these people that you're not actually capitalizing on in any other ways. But if you start showing up to events and you start showing up in the thing they get from Polaris and you start showing up in all these other places, all these little touch points with them that you're getting in your Facebook spend are actually going to multiply in value for you in a way that you won't even see in a ROAS anywhere. Um, they actually probably came to your site and went away the first time, right? But a couple more um, interaction points along the way through all these other touch points in your com community. And now whether they buy from you or a wholesaler or whatever, um, th you're going to get value out of those things. And the thing that's interesting about that to me is that like, that's how every brand has existed in the history of the world before direct -to consumer marketing online. Like everybody existed with awareness. Um, that's right. Right. You know, besides a few people, they, they built awareness in communities and then they captured the demand at a retail location. They, nobody clicked through and, and right. bought right away. They, there was a magazine ad and somebody bought later somewhere else. Um, and, and we, we count all that as a byproduct of this. We don't even give it any credit. Um, so I, I really think that if you, if you are advertising to your community on Facebook, it multiplies in value. If you're also hitting them in all the other places that they're at. It totally does. It totally does. And then there is direct impact on organic search on direct traffic. Like those are the, you will see and it, like we have that data. Like I can go back and look at the direct traffic between one month to the next with Kalo as we would do this. So so it's okay. So we surround the community. We have all these different touch points. Then, then I think the other element here, that, which is a little bit more blocking and tackling, which is really important, is that the campaign needs a theme, it needs a tagline, and it needs a style guide to it. So we would literally, just like you have a brand guide, every time we launch a campaign, we would design, this is what the campaign looks like. This is how the assets are designed. This is how the emails look. This is how, and so there's continuity for every affiliate that you give it to, for every event that you do. And then we would write these like stories. So, so I'll read this one really quickly. So this is from the Kalo Mark of a Maker campaign. The idea we were, was we were going after craftsmen, blue collar workers. And this was like the tone of the campaign. It says, the Kalo ring is a symbol for those that hand make. They build, craft, 
create and shape the world around us. The world bends to their hands and has no bounds in their minds. A maker's mark is stamped onto his creation while the mark of a maker is carried in his hands. The calluses, dried nails, worn palms, and Kalo ring are a symbol to the world that these are hands that make. Okay? That sets a visual tone for now everything I'm going to do. For the people I'm going to talk to, they better be calloused makers. We better, in the story of their shot, we better have a shot of their hands in there, right? Which obviously for the ring suits it really well. So now out of that, and I'll share the campaign video that came from that story, but now you can design a style, a photography angle, you know, the actual graphic elements of it. We would do apparel to complement the campaigns oftentimes. And now you have a whole cohesive campaign for a season. And it's not intended to last forever. It's probably somewhere between 30, 60, 90 days, maybe longer at retail. But for that time period, rather than this game on Facebook, which is like, we try something, then we just toss it out and go on to the next thing. You're actually going to work to make it work. You're not going to abandon it. You're going to iterate within the confines of the story. And you're going to have supplemental things that are going to lift it along the way. And I think that is where like, what is missing is just, it's just try something, toss it out, try something, toss it out. And it's a thousand miles wide and a half an inch deep everywhere. So good. I, yeah, especially, especially as brands, I think get to a certain stage where it gets more like the, the scale of this is relative to your team size and relative to totally it is. a lot of different things. Like I, I remember the early days of Kalo, the events that they were going to were really different than the events that they went to. They weren't sponsoring the CrossFit games in right. day one, right? Totally. It, totally. It, 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 it takes time to build up to those things. So you have to kind of look at this relative to your budget. But a lot of times, again, that actually makes you more endemic to the community that people will remember That's when right. you were a small shop that showed up two years ago. Right. And now you've come with a really cool display and it's because like hey you've grown that's great and people will be excited and rooting for you because you're for them um i always think of the story the um here was the moment i knew we had been really successful um with kalo in terms of crossfit in particular when we did that campaign um was at some point some crossfit nerds uh got married and by that i just mean super deep crossfit fans obviously got married um at the CrossFit games and, um, on the, on the floor of the CrossFit games, they had their wedding ceremony between events and they had Dave Castro, the head of the CrossFit games officiate the wedding ceremony really quick. So just kind of a gimmicky fun thing, but they were super deep. And so that's, they had, I don't know how they made it happen, but without ever contacting us without anybody on our team, knowing about this to my knowledge, right. Um, they got married with Kalo rings. Yep. And, uh, I remember thinking about that and going like, Oh, there it is right there. If you are a CrossFitter and you're deep and you get married, of course you get married with a CrossFit with a, with a Kalo ring. What else would you get married with? This is the right. ring for the CrossFitter. Um, and to me, it was like this, like totally non-monetized symbol of like having, having one, having been yeah. become endemic to this community, um, in this really significant way. And I, and I, I don't know what the equivalent of that is even for my brands. And, and I'd have to think about that in some other ways, but there is a reality to where being able to do that, I think, um, could really work. And I even think about online, there's like a lot of other ways you could do this. It's not necessarily about an event or an influencer or something, just even thinking about how you're talking to your existing customers with the lists you already have and, and all those kinds of things. There's, there's a lot of different stuff you could do, but, um, but yeah, I think that's the kind of thing I'm like looking for is like, how do, what are the little symbols that would tell me that we've really become the ATV brand that we want to be, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting because one of the goals that, we, and I don't know if this was your KPI or somebody's KPI was that in Facebook audience insights, when you, if you set CrossFit as the interest, 
We wanted the product that showed the most overlap with that community to be Kalo. And at one point it was, it's not anymore. I just looked, but, but like little things like that, that what is the symbol? Like we, we had a goal when we launched that campaign. Again, I think this was Cody was probably there at the time. Maybe it was Reed, but we printed these posters, large vinyl posters of Jason Kalipa. And the goal was to make sure they're hanging in 100 CrossFit gyms around the country totally free, nothing asked for them in return, make a rad poster, make a list of the top 200 CrossFit gyms, send it to them and tell them it'd be cool to hang it up and get a hundred of them to hang it up. That yeah, was it. I remember that, that was, the, that was the actual KPI. Yeah. Yes. So like, yeah, that's right. Kind of, those kinds of things like, and I, it's hard, like Kalo was really lucky in that it had really defined audiences. We got to go from there to police and firefighters. Again, they organize online easily. They're very easy to access. Bamboo Earth, this is more of a challenge. Like, there's not a general obvious audience for skincare. You have to make it, you have to define it, and you have to choose to go for it, meaning that at some point for a while, you're leaving something else. And that's oftentimes what people are afraid of is this idea that somehow they're missing out by choosing a group. And it's completely not true. It's the inverse. It's the opposite. That's so right. People feel that way. And even when we talk about broad audiences on Facebook and trust the algorithm, what we're saying is that the algorithm is doing that work for you on Facebook. We're not actually saying target everybody. What we're saying is, is that interest targeting doesn't work as well as finding the next person as, um, as Facebook's algorithm. And so, and that should still be self-repeating in this case. Like if you start selling products and give, and Facebook has your list of who you're selling to, um, to lots of people who really deeply care about clean products, clean skincare, whatever, in in the case of Bamboo Earth, right? Then Facebook will go find more of those people who care about that kind of thing by their other, you know, million bajillion factors that fit into their algorithms decision about who to serve an ad to. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, so the point of this, and, and, and like, for me, it was a challenge. I think a lot about Bamboo Earth just because it's growing so fast and, I want it to win, but the one limitation is like the amount of organic traffic that we have. Like it has one of the lowest uh, organic to paid ratios of like any of our brands for sure. And it's because we've been so successful and the LTV is good and all for good reasons. But to me, it's like, okay, how do we, like it has so much upside if we can win big. And part of the thing that I think is missing is a classic marketing campaign calendar where it's like, it's, and it's not that this other stuff stops. And actually, I think this is one of the keys is that you actually set up the marketing and campaign calendar before you run out of, before you run into the budget crunch is that while it's still working, you now build in, okay, we're going to have these four moments a year and we're going to do deeper work around them. And two of them are product launches. And then two of them are, are thematic. It's international women's day and you know, whatever, like, and you just choose your moments to build story around. And you do that on a repeated, you know, planned basis. And you go deep in those moments. It's so funny. We, I literally had the conversation with Coleman and Amber today uh, about like con- campaign calendars and trying to start thinking about who's getting our content and why. And, and all, I mean, we, we even have with that skin quiz, um, like pretty good information on like 150,000 email addresses of people who have completed that skin quiz and told us, here are my skin concerns. Here are the things that I care about. Here's what I think about beauty. Like yep. we have information about our customers in this really deep way. And we just haven't really gone after it yet. But like the response here in this case, unlike the ATV thing, right, is start with those people who haven't purchased and start to like message them and content, give them content directly that they're going to care about all those kinds of things. But then think about who are the other layers of people outside of them who have those same concerns, who haven't filled yep. out our skin quiz yet. And how right. do we reach them and where do they hang out and where do I go find the, the core group of them that's influencing and, and all those things. But I, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's, 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 it's all right there. So uh, and, one and thing perfect. I've learned, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, so go I, was, ahead. I was just going to say like, and one of the hard things about on the agency side, so I'll speak to our world, I was sort of, you know, jumping over to yours for a second, but 
we call ourselves a growth partner, okay? And this word is actually really confusing to people, I think. They don't know if that means you're supposed to be the person doing the marketing campaigns or the person executing the marketing campaigns. And this is the tension that we run into all the time, is that we're actually best suited to be the execution version of your campaign ideation. So I'll give you an example. Igloo coolers. Um, I think this is the perfect example of the best possible relationship. Now, it's unfair because they're big. I get it. But but what you have is a CMO in Brian Garofalo who is a great marketer. He doesn't know anything about Facebook advertising, but he's a great marketer and he builds freaking awesome marketing calendars and campaign concepts and then goes to us, what does it look like for this to come to life in this channel? And we crush for them, right? Where we struggle is when a team is responsible, when they don't know your product development workflow, they don't really, they're not actually endemic to the communities that you, you live in. And you're asking them to be functionally your CMO, your person deciding on the marketing calendar, those relationships are harder for us. We're not as equipped to be that. And I put that on us to make set expectations and bring clarity and, and figure that out. But the reality is, is that like that premise, someone driving the marketing calendar with thoughtful story is going to empower all your partners and everybody else to be better too. Yeah. And it's really fun too. I think that's it's another so, it's thing the about most this. Fun. I like it. It's, yeah. it I, go back I still remember when you came with the Mark of the Maker campaign, what you said to all of us before you presented it is this is my favorite piece of work I've ever done. You said yeah. that. You, you said like, it was like, I, you were really excited about it. It's just so, like that idea of what's a story and what are all the touch points. It's like a this beautiful puzzle with deep singular work. And it's just like, man, I, I miss it for sure. Um, because it is, we like, you can just do cool stuff when you get to think long about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is really good. Uh, I've quickly realized that there's no way we're ever going to be able to do these episodes where both of us bring a topic. Uh, so that's going to have changed. Instead, it's uh, going to be one person bringing a topic. I was going to talk about <laughs> discounting and discounting Ooh, strategy today. Um, but, uh, that'll have to wait. So we'll, we'll talk about discounting some other time. Um, and, uh, that and, one might get and, more heated. So that'll probably be more fun. Yeah. Today we just talked ever louder and more excited and faster, which is another thing that you have. And I hope, I, like, I hope in some ways that's like a reflection that like, this is meaningful yeah. and it matters. And like, we we're excited about excited. it. Yeah. 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 Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with our new brands, like there, I, I, mean, I just see so many opportunities here. I think, you know, for us, there's an element where we're, as we build out our team more, it gets a lot easier to make it so that our brand general managers in particular have a little more freedom and time to get out of the kind of weeds of building emails and things like that. And, and more into like this bigger picture kind of planning. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to do some cool stuff like that. Definitely. If we do, I'll, I'll pass it along to people and, and talk about kind of the mechanics of it and break down any, any templates we use or any calendars we use or anything like that. Uh, I will, I will send them along so that if, if it's useful to us, you can be useful to you as well. In the meantime, Taylor, thanks for your time today. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is, this is fun. I'm excited to keep doing this. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for wrapping. Uh, I'd love to see if you guys have favorite campaigns or you're building one. I know Andrew, whatever your, your sort of outreach is like, I love, I, I like, I, I put it on Twitter once that I would love somebody to to build a website where you can go look at a campaign and every touch point that it included and be able to see what the emails look like and the ads look like and the retail look like and be able to see it all at glance. So That's if a great you idea. have one, then I would so love to see it. I would love to see how you're bringing to life great ideas. Yeah, reach out to us on Twitter uh, at Andrew so James Paris, at Taylor Holiday. Yep, totally. Um, I'd love to see it. Tag us both, uh, go from there. And if it's if email's better, you can email podcast at 40400.com. I'll make sure to get it over to Taylor as well. Um, and we'll go from there. I think I'll just wrap up here. We won't do a separate outro. This is really fun. Um, I'm excited to keep doing this. I'd love your feedback. If this was useful to you, um, let me know. It's a little different, longer form. 
I know than, than the usual style of just me uh, talking at you. Um, so, uh, so instead I talked to Taylor and, uh, and if we, uh, if you like that, then uh, great. Let me know if you thought this was a giant um, bummer of an episode where Taylor and I just are just way too excited to talk to one another and nobody actually cares what we're saying. Uh, I would actually love to know that as well. We yeah, want to totally. Sure Cause then we'll, then we'll just stop recording and have the call without you. So, <laughs> so either way, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, seriously, uh, feedback is, is helpful. It's optionality. Thank you for the feedback as Dane Sanders likes to say. He does. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. Uh, as always, rate and review. We really, really, really appreciate that. Really appreciate all your feedback. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.